Hey everybody, welcome to episode two of Smarten Up with JP and Fab. I'm pumped to announce that our guest for this episode is the one and only Tom Karadza. If you're not familiar with Tom, he's a co-founder of Rockstar Real Estate, a real estate brokerage in Oakville, Ontario that specializes in real estate investments. In this episode, we discuss Tom's beginnings as a nine to five employee and how he progressed out of that world and into the world of self-employment. We cover the struggles of starting a business from scratch, some lessons he learned along the way, and how he built his business up from a team of two to a team of 70 sales agents and employees. We also dive pretty deep into the current state of the real estate market in Southern Ontario, whether or not now is a good time to buy a rental property, what types of rental properties Tom thinks a beginner investor should consider, along with his thoughts on interest rates and how it's affecting the economy. Tom is a great guy with a ton of knowledge. I've been a guest on his podcast, The Your Life, Your Terms Show, which I highly suggest checking out. So enough talking, let's get to the podcast. So for those of you who do not know this individual, this is Tom Karadza. Are you talking in your radio voice right I now? I am. Oh, okay. My, F, my uh, late night FM radio voice. Can we change it to normal? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Tom, co-founder of Rockstar Real Estate. What do you got to say about him? Um, well, we started kind of, when did you start your business? Oh, quit, uh, quit my job in 2007, started the business in, in t- really in 2006. Nick was working out of a closet in 2006 and that's when we started and I held on for some cash flow for like six months. Okay. I didn't quit. When, when you, like, what was the deciding factor? Because you worked at what, NetSuite or? I worked at NetSuite. I was, the deciding factor was every day when I drove to the office in traffic and I already owned rental properties in Hamilton and I was driving from Oakville to Mississauga in bumper to bumper traffic that was making me lose my mind. I thought, why am I driving this way when I own property that way? It's going up in value, it's cash flowing for me, and the highway is clear. Right. Like I would literally look at the highway. I know this sounds ridiculous, and I was just making myself crazy. I'm like, I, I cannot work for someone else. And then there was a bunch of factors at the company, which was a great company, I learned a ton, but you can only do sales for so long before one quarter, one month, something happens and you're like, I'm never gonna do this for a corporate environment. So you, you, were, you were in sales there, you were making like good six figure income. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yes, I was at Oracle, in, I was at Oracle tech support and then in pre-sales and then in sales and then I went to NetSuite as a sales rep and then a regional sales manager and then yeah, they went public about six months after I left for a billion dollars on the New York Stock Exchange. Wow. That's never a wise time to leave a company six months before it goes public. I'm sure you're doing good, though. (laughs) I'm sure in hindsight. Oh, yeah. No, no. Yeah, it was good. I I sold any NetSuite stock I had over the year, early years there just to fund Rockstar. And uh, looking back, I think it was like if I had met you or Fab, I think you guys would have told me and probably watching out for my, you know, the wellness of my family saying this is not a wise decision, Tom. (laughs) Don't sell your stocks. Don't do what you're about to do. I don't know if you guys would have what said did, that. What did, Carol, what did Carol say? Carol's your wife. What did, like, what did she say when you this went home? A, yeah, we were in my accountant's office at the time, and I told him, um, I told him I was going to quit my job. And the, my last year at Oracle, I was, uh, I made a really, a really good income. I, you know, it was, it was over two hundred thousand dollars. And for me, in my late twenties, there, like that was That's like. The accountant said, and I didn't make that every year, by the way, that was just a really exceptionally good year. And uh, the accountant pulled me aside with Carol there and said, Tom, 
I would highly advise against quitting this job. No one really makes this type of income or very few people are fortunate enough to make that kind of income right. and don't do it. And I remember looking over at him and going, you son of a <laughs> you know, why did you Typical say that in front of right? Carol? Yeah. You know, and we walked out to the elevator and Carol looked at me and I think she, uh, you know, I thought maybe what was going through her mind was going to be don't do it. But she was always supportive. Okay. I think she knew I was going to lose my mind. Right. Like I was getting sick. I was getting sick every month. NetSuite was on a monthly uh, close and we had to call a number every month. And I was the sales manager. So we called a number for the team, not having a clue how we were going to get to that sales number. Right. But I took it so seriously. I was, I was literally making myself sick at the end of every month to deliver that number. So right. I just knew I, I couldn't live that way anymore. Like I couldn't, I couldn't sustain it. And yeah. I think she knew too. And and that's a, like starting a business is, is you just pull trigger. You said, I'm going to do it. But you leveraged off of what you had and started gradually the other business. I'm sure Nick jumped in and kind of did a lot of the stuff yeah. while you were making. It's, this sounds very, yeah, I mean, very to familiar. Put this into context, you're, you have a classic story of go to university, graduate, get a job nine to five, become successful at that job. And it's like, it, it blows anyone's mind, anybody who's like super conservative, why would you quit a successful job at a successful company to go off on your own? But it worked, right? It worked, and I think for a couple of years before I quit, I was searching for a business, and I didn't even know if real estate was the business that we were gonna go in. Nick and I just happened to both have flipped properties, done rentals, like we had experience in this and our family had an experience in it, but I didn't really have a big goal to go in real estate. What happened was I just looked around my life and I thought, wow, every single person that I personally know who has any sort of real wealth, mm -hmm. like I mean any sort of wealth that allows freedom, right. they own some real estate. Like even if it's not their primary business, like they own some real estate. Yeah. And I thought, I'm, I guess I can't figure out any other business to get into. Right. So I'm gonna go into real estate. And I had tried, I had some websites online. I started a website called salesinthecity.com that was before Groupon, where I called all different stores around Toronto and said, hey, do you have any sales? Because I wanna advertise your sales in my email newsletter. Right. And this uh, website email list started taking off. Like I was getting, subscribers every day without advertising. And I would see names like a Hewlett Packard if like one person signed up at HP, I guess they were telling their friends, right. and I would get like 10 emails. That's crazy. So this is the kind of thing as a marketer and a business owner that you should never ignore and walk away from. Right. But I walked away from it because I was like, this sucks, I hate gathering sales, I hate yeah, yeah. the, you know, I hate this thing. And Groupon then went public for a billion dollars like about five <laughs> or six years later. And so Nick, you screwed up twice. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Nick was like, you know, that was like a billion was a couple, dollar idea. But you know when you there, hear right? that thing in books yeah, that yeah. you read over the years, you're like, you have to be the person to be able to develop the business. Like yeah, you, yeah. I wasn't the person that could have made that a billion dollar business, but I had a billion dollar, a legit billion dollar idea. Right. Um, but uh, so I had started all these things. And then when before I quit for Rockstar, I realized the secret to success in business was understanding how to acquire new customers. That if I could crack the nut on how to acquire a steady stream of new customers, I could go into any business. Yeah. Yep. But the, the most valuable thing was how do I get new customers? I have right. to be excellent at the business that I'm going into as a minimum barrier to entry. So how did like how did you get into real estate? Like where did that come from? Uh, um, so then I decided I would go into the real estate business. I would go into real estate. That was going to be, a, so you be got the your license to start. Got, got my license, and then I started studying marketing. Okay. So then I, before I quit, I thought, okay, I'm not going to just get my real estate license. I'm going to do a super deep dive on marketing. 
Right. How do you get your phone to ring? Or now someone to send you a text or an right. email. How does this work? And then I did like probably two years worth of reading and studying. And it was at that time where I was like, Nick, I think we got something here. We stumbled into a gentleman in the US who was doing something similar to what we wanted to do. I called him, picked his brain, right. paid him money to talk to him a little bit. And Nick and I agreed, yep, we got what we need now. We, we know how to get cut. We know the business model will be working with real estate investors to buy income properties. Mm -hmm. And we know how to get new customers for the business. Let's quit. And it was the marriage of those two things that made me feel confident that, that I could quit. So so you started the business kind of 2007. At what point um, did it start to grow? How, like how, how bad was it in the beginning? And how big is it now? Because I, I don't even know how many brokers you have. I don't know how many, how sure. many agents. Yeah, yeah sure. And, um, um, yeah, so for the first three years, uh, it was so bad that we uh, I had to I had to pay for the property tax bill on my family home. I had to pay using the credit line on that home. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just knew, I'm like, oh, I'm teaching people about real estate and investing, but this is the worst financial thing you could ever do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And I, I, I think I was taking a little bit of grocery money even um, every month from that credit line. Um, so the, for the first three years, it was really bad. I had two kids, Carol was not working, right. and it was tight. Every single spare dollar that I thought I would take as an individual, Nick and I just pushed back into the business, which was absolutely the right thing to do. Zero right. But when I was younger, I thought, oh, you just start a six-figure business. Yeah, yeah. You I'll make, make a six-figure yeah. salary. I'll just take all the money out, and yeah. you know, this is going to be easy. Yeah. I quickly learned, no, to, to survive, um, you have to push everything back into the business. So for three years, not a spare dollar. Like, I'm talking not a spare dollar at hey, all. Hey, man, we, we're... Yeah, I know you guys know this. And for the first five years, tight. And then after five years, I feel like there was some, oh, I can, I can get... I'm at least back to my monthly income of before I quit my job. Okay, right. You, you, you know, but no, no real extra savings. Right. But like, okay... But by this time, you've built up some goodwill in the sense that your phone is ringing. Right. Phone is ringing. The marketing is working. Are. We're yeah. doing all the things. We're not like totally starving, right. but we're not like, you know, some people would meet us and say, oh, you guys must drive Ferraris. And yeah, like, yeah, we're yeah. like, no, like, you know, I think Nick just Nick got rid of his Honda Civic, Civic yesterday yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was, it was bad. It was bad. But because we felt we were serving a purpose, it was never like we regretted the toughness of that first five years. Right. We always felt like we're trying to serve people. We're trying to genuinely help people understand the real estate market better than they did. So we're going to do this. And now it's been, what, 13 or 14 years? And the last two or three years, things have really started to compound now. It's like, oh, okay. Well, we have uh, right about 50 licensed people at Rockstar. Okay. Um, and the total teams, it's got to be around the 60 person, 60 It's a decent sized business now. Now it's a decent right. sized business and there's some sustainability. We have repeat customers and right. it you seems big, like it's a real business. Seminars, right? Like, yeah, we'll have 700 clients out for uh, yeah. a, a seminar a few times a year. Fortunate enough to cross path, pass with people like yourselves who know what they're talking about to be able to share that knowledge with right. investors. So there's been like a group right. of professionals that have now been around as well. Like to be able to get UJP to share accounting knowledge, Fab, you to talk about convertible convertible debt structures <laughs> or whatever the, whatever the heck you're going to teach us next. You know, that's valuable. So um, it's become this really great thing. And what, I feel what was fortunate. What was the hardest? So we'll, we'll, we'll kind of get off of this topic. But uh, one of the things we, we like to kind of 
tell people is the story of starting a business. So, I mean, perfect sweat equity and you got to reinvest. Like me and Fab made no money and we both had two kids, wives at home. You know, my wife, I, I unfortunately made her work because she's in real estate and she can make a lot more money than me with a commission. So she hustled through that time, but we feel your pain. And yeah, we're just at the final end of, you know, making it, but it was a grind for almost a decade and people are like, oh, you're killing it and killing it. No, killing you know, yourselves. yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and you and feel you've earned every single dollar that has come your way. It's, right? the only, you feel like, yeah. it's, yeah. tough. it's yeah. tough and it's stressful. And it's not something that, that I think uh, uh, it, it, if had I known it would have been this tough, I would have second guessed myself. Completely. Right. Yeah, because totally. we could have, I could have been a controller at a company yeah, easily yeah. making 300. And I think when you go into business, I don't know about you guys, I don't know, we thought like, oh, it'll probably take a year or two. That, and that's, we'll, you know, that's we'll have a good we income. Yeah, yeah, that's what we thought. Did we you put wrong. together like a, a business plan like at the beginning? No, we, we, I, the, the, our business plan wasn't a typical one. We looked at different metrics. So for us, it was like, what would be the cost to get a new lead? What would be the cost to get a new customer? And what would right. be the lifetime value of that customer? We thought if we could crack the nut on those three metrics, yeah. we didn't really need a, a, a business plan in terms of how big is the market? What percentage of the market would right. we get? What would be our angle in the market? We were simply like, how much will it cost us to get a new lead? So right. for somebody in the market to raise their hand and say, we are somewhat interested in hearing more from you. How yep. much would it cost to get that into our sphere of influence? How much would it then cost to turn one of those into a customer? And then ultimately when we had a customer, what is the lifetime value of that customer to us? Is the lifetime value of the customer just that one transaction? Or if we are good to that person, are they worth more to us than the one transaction? And could we right, figure right. out that number? Because if we could figure out those numbers, we could then reverse engineer our marketing to say, oh, we're being way too cheap up front on the marketing because the lifetime value of a customer to us is so incredibly high, much higher than we thought. Right. We should put more money into our marketing. And it gave us, it, it gave us some freedom to say, we don't need a marketing budget of like X number of dollars a month we're just gonna work these numbers right. because these numbers are the math that's gonna make the whole business work. Completely. So that was kind of our our thinking, but then it took us two or three years even to understand what those numbers would be. So we were, we were flying blind for two or three years to try to figure out what those numbers were, but Nick and I would meet every week, we still do, religiously about those numbers. Okay, wow, that's awesome. But, so you yeah. guys did have metrics, but you know, I'm hearing the same sort of theme that I'm hearing from other, you know, successful small business type entrepreneurs. You just did it. Yeah. You didn't overthink it. You just did it. Yeah. At the beginning, none of the numbers had, there was no data to really like, make sense jump, of the numbers. Jump, right? It was it. just All like, right. we think a customer's worth this much. We think, you know, it was all just filling the blanks. Right. But yeah, we just, we just, at a certain point, it was like burn the bridges. You know, uh, we got to just jump in and, and do this. And you yeah. guys deal with a ton of entrepreneurs. Same, same as us, we deal with a ton. Um, one of the themes that we see when people come to us with a new business uh, idea, and when we can tell, and we talked about it on our first podcast where it's just John Paul and I, when you have somebody who has you know, all these spreadsheets, business plan, consultant, that I find they never, they never pull the trigger. It's too much data. Yeah, they yeah, just yeah. don't pull, you know what, they're the, they're, I say it, I've said it a thousand times, but they're the ready, aim, 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 but never fire type of, yeah, they spend too much time right on that instead of actually. You know, it's business. Business is simple for me. It's get sales and execute 
Yeah. <laughs> for That's you, it. it's get yeah. a client, sell a house. Yeah. yeah. Rinse and repeat. For yeah. us, it's get a client, do their tax planning, do their taxes. Make sure they come yeah. back next Rinse year. I find anyone who wants, a, you know, I, I tell it, and it's it, this is similar to a real estate investor. We'll tell anyone, if you're waiting for 100% certainty in the real estate market or in building your new business, right. you're just never going to go. Yeah. yeah, you got. You can maybe get to the eighty percent mark where you feel like you have a business idea that's going to work or a real estate investment that's going to work. The last twenty percent is a pure leap of faith moment. Right, right. And, and and I'm kind of glad you said that because um, we need these people, especially in the real estate market, because there's too many people in the real estate market right now. The the supply and demand of that. So, you know, when someone says to me, and I'm sure with you guys, you know, hmm, should I hmm. Perfect. Don't like, yeah, <laughs> don't, but yeah, if you're going to do it, just, just do it, just do it. You, and you need to, yeah, the real estate market's now so bananas that uh, you're right. If you're, if you're going to hem and haw about it, then just stay out because it's so crazy that you just need to be an action taker. You need to have a certain conviction to play in today's world in the so, real estate market. So I guess let's, let's jump sure. into the real estate market. I mean, you're a real estate expert, right? Yeah, you know, <laughs> I know. I know this a little is, bit. No one, no one is a real estate expert. There is no one who can tell anyone that they are a real estate expert. No one Especially has the crystal ball. When our Bank of Canada will, you know, when you have one body who can control the primary risk factor in real estate to me, which is interest rates, and we don't know what they're going to say. They could open the door one day and say, "We decided to raise interest rates five percent." What will that do to the real estate market tomorrow? So, and because nobody can predict that with certainty, you can never be a flat out expert in the real estate market. There's just too much risk allocated to what the Bank of Canada is going to decide right. or what the bond market, the broader market decides to do with the bond market. So it's tough. I guess if you see the board of directors of the Bank of Canada selling off property, um, it would be a good time to follow yeah, why? suit. Is, are you seeing that? <laughs> no, no, oh, I'm God, just like, saying. Oh, yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great tell. No, that's a great tell. I've actually joked around with people. I'm like, if anybody can get me into a meeting at the Bank of Canada where they're like talking about monetary policy, I will make a charitable donation to your best charity that you love yeah. to be able to sit in that meeting. Cause I want to be the fly in the room when they're having the talk of like, should we lower rates again? You know, <laughs> what do you think is going to happen to the real estate market if we lower rates again? But anyway, yeah. to the real estate story, our fam, our, our mother was renting out properties um, in Toronto for, for, let me get this straight. Uh, I think it was $12 a week. Am I right? Some, some low amount. I can't remember the dollar. Maybe it was $70 a week. I, I forget. Um, because our family had a boarding house. That was okay. the way our family um, got into the real estate market. You know, awesome. our father is uh, an immigrant from, from Croatia. Our mother is Scottish. Both immigrants. They got into the real estate market by buying a house where the second and third floor of that house they ran as a boarding house. And our mom would wash the sheets and rent, it, rent out the mm -hmm. rooms. I guess it was like an early Airbnb kind mm -hmm. of thing. Yeah. Um, and then our father started flipping properties in the 1980s and he was making more money from flipping properties in Mississauga, north of Square One by Eglinton and McLaughlin Road up there um, than his drywall company. Like the net yeah. income from his drywall company was smaller than yeah. the net income he was getting from flipping properties. And then in 1990, you guys are so young. I don't even know if you guys were born then. But in 1990, the real estate market had this epic crash here and our father was holding three properties. Luckily, he sold two. One our family was stuck with at Mississauga Road in Eglinton. He bought it for $750,000. Four months later, it was worth four fifty. Yeah. And our family, you know, we, that almost lost our family home for us. We couldn't sell it. We had to rent it out. Even renting it out, we were losing approximately $1,000 a month during that time. 
So I, we're not real estate experts, but as our as our family seen a thing or two, we've seen a thing or two. So when yep. I see today's market and everybody thinks prices can only go up forever, right, right. Nick and I are always in the back going, yeah, like we think they're going to go up and buy smart, but holy smokes, you know, plan yeah. for anything. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, that's that's kind of the question that we get all the time. I mean, I, I do tax and accounting, but actually the, most of my day is spent talking about real estate because we do real estate for our clients. So that's the number one thing. Is it going to go up? I mean, tell me what are the factors that you know, because I uh, we, we have our own. Um, what factors do you see that are going to dictate housing prices here? Yeah. I, okay. So I guess I would bring it down to the fundamentals of what is the current um, supply growth and what is the immigration growth or population growth in this country? So first and foremost, what are just those fundamentals? And Canada has a freaky amount of immigration that comes into this country. And by freaky, I don't mean bad. I mean, it's just large. Right. Per capita, we just get an astronomical amount of immigration into this country, which is a blunt force way to grow the GDP of a country. Like if a country is not good at innovating right, or right. building new technology, right. stick more, more people, people in, yeah. you're gonna trade more dollars, it's likely gonna yeah. grow the economy. So it, it's kind of like, I don't know if it's a sneaky way or a smart way, but it is a way to continue to grow an economy and Canada does that and luckily enough we are attractive to many people around the world where we can pull this off right. and we currently have for 10 years we have had a shortage in supply and an, uh, a high amount of population growth specifically in the greater Toronto and Golden Horseshoe area so for for some numbers in the GTA proper there's been about 36,000 new housing units built a year for the last 10 years, 36,000 a year. And the GTA, according to CMHC and the government, is includes Halton, but doesn't include Durham. Okay, so, so you're like saying GTA, GTA, not, just not GTA Golden Horseshoe. I'm just using okay. these numbers because yeah, I know GTA. these numbers, <clears throat> but the same theme would apply right through the Golden Horseshoe. Go Golden Horseshoes, about 13,000 roughly uh, per month. That's, okay, that's okay. what I saw kind of you know a month ago when I did the course with you. With you guys, sorry, thirteen thousand probably a new, year. New, I think it's per year. No, it would be per year because uh, GTA is thirty six thousand a year. Golden, yeah, Golden Horseshoe though is thirteen thousand. So, I think we're sure. getting our numbers. Right. Yeah, Golden Horseshoe, but Golden, Golden Horseshoe is bigger. Golden Horseshoe is bigger than the GTA. Golden Horseshoe covers from Peterborough to Niagara Falls. Yeah, got yeah. it. Okay, so thirteen thousand. So, sure. okay. so okay. we we know that's kind true. of if because then you're including Toronto. Yeah, sure. Maybe yeah. it is that. It, okay. Yeah, that's kind of what I saw. And then immigration is okay. See how me and Fab looked at you right away, like, dude, like, Pete, where are you going? <laughs> no, Fab yeah. and I were on the same it goes page. All the way right? Yeah, no, but okay. So so sure, perhaps that is. I don't have that number handy, but that that makes sense that it could be that for sure. Um, but for perspective, for Toronto, thirty-six thousand new housing units a year for the last ten years, fifty thousand new family formations through population growth, largely through immigration, a right. year. Right. So now so we have a shortage of 14,000 housing units a year for the last decade. Just so in the GTA. Just in GTA proper. Yeah. So then if you add that up for the last 10 years, that's 140,000 houses that we are short. Houses or condos or apartments that we are short just for people to live housing in. Housing for a family. Yeah. Right. And then if you look at a city like the size of Oakville or Burlington, I think Oakville's population right now is about um, 200,000 or so. That means the housing units in Toronto at, at you know at two person two people per housing unit it's mm -hmm. it's probably like a hundred thousand or so housing units in Oakville. Right. But we are short currently 
about 140,000 just on the on that shortage over the last 10 years. Right. Which means to me we're short in housing more than the city of Oakville. Right. Right. That's crazy. And so when I see that type of <clears throat> shortage and then the Bank of Canada last year because of COVID and we can all argue whether that was the right or wrong move to like I'm not here to judge yeah, they yeah. have a complicated thing like I, I sometimes take jabs at the Bank of Canada but I understand how complicated their lives are right so they cut interest rates a point and a half mm -hmm. so when you cut interest rates a point and a half and then you feed the economy with a lot of money through different things um, and then you have this housing shortage that's been building up for a decade it doesn't necessarily surprise me that house prices have done what they've done over the last 12 months and then going forward to answer your question of where we're headed next, regulations have not, all the builders we interact with are telling us that regulations have not got easier for them to build. It's not like they're getting approved like right. a diamond, like, you know, oh, you want new yeah. building permits? Here Go they are. It. It's yeah. difficult for them. Not only that, I don't know if you guys have seen the prices of lumber and steel in the last few months, but we have contractors yeah. coming to us and say, Tom, we used to be able to quote a job mm -hmm. and our suppliers would give us a, a lock in on lumber prices for five months, and they won't do five months. Mm -hmm. Now they're like, if you don't come back in five days, days, this is a true story. Yeah. Just happened last week in our office with a contractor. We are going to change the price on that. We reserve mm -hmm. the right to at least be able to change the price. Okay. So when prices are going for like lumber, steel, yeah. like that right now, you have a population growth. Canada has said we want our target for this year is to hopefully allow 401,000 people into this country. That's more than two years ago. That's that's more than what we were saying two years ago. They want to do that. So if we want to keep getting people in here, but the prices to build properties is going up, but we're still not building enough of those properties. All the factors are in play to me to me to, to say that real estate prices are still going to at least plateau. Right. Like I can't see them coming down and they're going to trend <laughs> up because of we have more people. We don't have enough housing and just the the in the the product to build the houses is going up in cost. So are you saying supply and demand lead the deciding factor of real estate prices? Supply and demand are two of the key ones, and to me, I, I can't ignore interest rates. Okay. The cost of money. Right. When I when I look at it like that, I, I agree, but I, I see interest rates um, as a form. It, it's a subset of supply and demand. Right. You lower interest rates, you increase the affordability of a monthly payment, and we were all talking about this before we went live, right? But you increase the affordability of a monthly payment, it increases the demand for properties and it can artificially increase the price of property. I uh, right? to, yeah. to me, it's actually, to me, interest rates are more tied to, and I, I don't understand this part is we've talked about inflation and the bond yield and, and how they're co correlating to me, the U S right now. So we we're piggybacking off the U S our interest rate is going to have to be dictated with what's happening there. But we're seeing the rates of the bond yields go up there, are we not? Correct, we are. So and in gonna, Canada. So it's it's going to trickle down, but that is based off, inf is that off of inflation? Well, to me, wow. So like you're getting into a big subject here, but yes. Okay, so the uh, a weak bond auction to me, so why would the bond rates go up? Let's think about this. In the US and they have in Canada. And fixed yeah. rates last week in Canada did go up. I have no idea how. Okay, so it's because fixed rates are tied to the bond market, right. and the bond market, 
when there's a lack of interest in buying a country's debt, then rates have to go up to attract the interest. So to me, why is there a lack of interest? If the central banks have basically said, we're going to buy a whole shit ton of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Am I allowed to swear? Of course, yeah. yeah. Whole, a whole bunch of this stuff. And the Bank of Canada just yesterday, I think, said they're going to stop buying. But they've been buying basically Canadian bonds, like Canadian debt, like it's been going out of style for the last year. So, can so the countries are buying their own so the debt. Can so the countries are producing demand for their own debt. But rate that means rates would only go up if the rest of the demand out there is saying, whoa, 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 don't, don't like what we see here. Yeah. And you're, you know, you're going to have to raise these rates for us to buy. Now, why would somebody then say they don't like what they see? To me, it means if you're going to buy 30-year debt from the U.S. as a 30-year treasury, maybe you don't like what you see because at an interest rate that's like basically nothing, I'm fearful that inflation is going to mean that when I get my money back from you in 30 years, the return on that I'm getting plus my principal back is going to be basically worth less. So I don't want to do that trade with you. So right. to me, it's the threat of inflation could be indeed causing a weak debt auction, which then increases interest rates in an environment where people are telling us there's no inflation, the, the central banks say there's no inflation, but the market itself is basically saying, huh, I think there might be inflation ahead and rates are then trickling up. So, so I mean, just very quickly, what is inflation? So everyone's going to argue, people will argue about this, especially on Twitter, and everyone's going to argue about what inflation is. But uh, I think that the, the classic example is that the, the, the amount of the supply of money in an economy is increasing or inflating. Okay. But to me, I tend to think of it, and people will argue if this is right or wrong, I tend to think of it as our prices in the economy going up. That's what I see. Yeah, and so everyone, like someone will argue with you while like saying, JP, that's not what inflation is because the, the money supply can inflate, but maybe if that money doesn't get circulated into the economy, prices do not increase. And then people will argue and say, there, see, because the money didn't get in the economy, there's no inflation, and people get crazy. But the general thing to me is that Prices are going up. And, and, and not goes. real estate prices, because that's just all, been inflation all, all for the last assets. 10 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah all, all assets. All assets yeah. I find right now are expensive. And what I'm seeing in practice, you know, managing money for about 40, 50 families, is I'm seeing an, an, an increased appetite for risk, right? So, uh, you know, even people, uh, I'm not going to claim to be an economist, right? It's a very complicated uh, situation, but when I'm seeing 65 and 70 year olds who were never um, willing to buy equities, who are now looking for equities with uh, you know forced, higher yield, forced, forced, I would argue, yeah, they're forced because they're like, look, you know, I'm in, I'm 70 years old, I'm in good health, the chances of living into my 90s are very high. I need capital appreciation and I need yield, right? So for example, um, I have a couple that their entire life were in GICs and now they're, they have 60% of their, of their liquid net worth in equities, right? Mm -hmm. Which is fine. I'm fine with the equities that, that they've purchased because you know we're, they're yielding on average about 5% uh, dividend solid companies everything's everything's good i can't talk about the individual uh, securities oh, but come on you can <laughs> <laughs> but but uh at the end of the day I, i'm fine i'm fine with it but 
you know, these people, they're looking for yield. They're looking for growth and they're not finding it in the bond market. They're not finding it in the in the cash market, let's call it GICs, so on and so forth. Relative to inflation, uh, I think that everything moves relative to inflation and relative to, let's call it uh, the lending rate anyways, right? So they talk about back in the day, I used to be able to get GICs that yielded you know, 11% or whatever it is. I'm like, okay, my father-in-law, 18%. Yeah. 18% yeah. in what, the 80s. What was inflation but, but, So then, was mortgage rates. Right? Yeah. right? And yeah. what were mortgage rates back then, right? So let's just focus of, on the positive. Let's yeah. <laughs> everything kind of levels off, right? So if you want a guaranteed investment that yields 6%, well, there's going to be risk in some other, in some other uh, area. So what I'm seeing now in practice is exactly this, right? People are anticipating inflation and they want to make sure that they exceed inflation with their investments. So they're going to equities, they're going to things such as second and third mortgages, they're going to higher yield, uh, higher yielding bonds, higher yielding fixed income, maybe from um, you know foreign countries like Singapore or things like that, where they'll issue sovereign debt at a, at a much higher yield than a well-developed nation you know, or, or a traditional nation like Canada or the US, so on and so forth. So I'm seeing this in practice it's not just it can't just be you know it's a small uh, subset of the economy my clients but i'm seeing it that's crazy right? that, you're, that actually pisses me off that you're seeing it because i i don't like to know that there are 70 year olds that have worked their whole lives that need to take more risk and i know we can all say sure it, it's fine that they have to take more risk but that actually pisses me off because i like to live i want to live in a world where you can work your whole life and your savings and I know this is a foreign idea. Like I, I, I understand how crazy this is, what I'm about to say, but that your savings could be stuck in a, something like cash or maybe a GIC and earn enough interest for you to live a peaceful retirement and for you to be a mentor to other people, for you to have the time and peace of mind to mentor other people. And mm -hmm. I know that's so dismissive. It's I understand. hard, yeah. Well, I understand yeah. it's hard, but it's hard because the moral fabric of the currency that we use is distorted by a central banking system. I don't know if you want me to say this or not, but that's what I believe. I yeah, believe the moral fabric of the currency that we use has been artificially manipulated to the extent, and, and I do have some, sympathy for the central banks but you can only play with interest rates so much that when you hit the zero bound like we're at with interest rates there's no more levers that they can pull and you force people into riskier and riskier investments and i just personally doesn't sit well with me and i don't have the perfect solution but 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 to me it's a system that doesn't feel sustainable like i would be very surprised if we were sitting here 10 years from now and the system, the way it is now, without some structural changes to it, is the way it is. Because I, 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 don't, I don't understand. We are just going to print more and more money. So like, for example, the US debt right now is $27 trillion, okay? They, that has tripled since 2009. 2009, it was about nine trillion. It's now 27 trillion. Yeah. So 10 years, it went from a trip, it went to triple, yeah. okay? So in the next 10 years, it goes from 27 to 81 trillion. That means it goes to 81 trillion. If we keep right. the same pace, it goes to 81 trillion. However, the economy only grew 50%. Tax receipts by the US government, I know this because I go to the St. Louis Federal Reserve and pull the data. Mm -hmm. The tax receipts over the same 10 year period for the last 10 years only increased 50%. 
So they tripled their debt, but their revenues only increased 50%. But that's based on tax. I mean, that's so based on that's, tax. Yeah, 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 that's based on the tax. Primary, but the primary way that, that pr primary that way. So now we're going to take it, right? we're going to triple it again. And if they only grow 50% from today, the amount of deficits that are going to be required just to pay for interest, because if, it, if the debt gets to $81 trillion, a triple from today, 1% increase in interest rates is $810 billion a year in interest payments. Right. Because 1% on 881 trillion is 810 billion. Yeah. Um, how are interest rates ever going to go up? How are they ever going to go up? Which then to me, back to JP. How, they, how are they going up? <laughs> they're not going to be able to go up. Yeah. No, it's math. This is math. Yeah. I mean, I learned this math in grade eight. Right. Like this isn't complicated math. This is if, 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 if the economy needs to grow to pay for just, never mind pay off the debt. Forget about pay off the debt. Just for the interest on the debt. Right. To be serviced, yeah. To be serviced. I, I don't see how this continues. And that's why I look at the real estate market. And even though our family barely survived the 1990 crash, mm -hmm. I, I sound so foolish, I think, to say, I think it's going to go higher. Because the yeah. real estate market, because I'm like, interest rates, mathematically, I don't see how they can possibly go higher in any meaningful way. Can they go up a quarter point, half point? Absolutely. But can they go up 5%? No way. In, in, my, in my math, I don't see them going up 5%. So now I have more people. I don't have an influx of new property because the stock to flow on real estate's tough. To, yeah, it's very to, tough. To increase the yeah. flow of new property. You can't just build new properties so the like new, that. Yeah. You, can't, you can't, the stock to flow ratio is a little difficult to adjust. So then you have more people, you don't have more properties matching the new people. You have interest rates that look like they're locked at the zero bound forever. Not only are interest rates locked at the zero bound, I have governments who are gonna say they're gonna come up with stimulus packages. The US just put 1.9 trillion approved. Yep. So real estate prices to me, I, I can't see how they come down in dollar terms. I, I don't understand how they come down. You guys tell me where, yeah, I'm, where I, I'm thinking wrong. Number one is the stock to flow. That's a very important, and for people who don't understand that, why don't you explain that? So I guess a stock to flow is like, the reason that sometimes people will look at, at gold as something that became like a monetary metal or something that became money was that it had uh, a good stock to flow ratio, meaning that the entire stock of gold in the world could not be replaced easily by the annual flow of new production. Right. And that's what made gold a really valuable thing. It was like, oh wow, like, right. uh, you know, the, my gold that I own in my pocket, it can't be replicated or produced very easily, so it holds its value. Unlike oil, which is if we deplete the entire world's oil revenues this year, Right. It can be replenished next year to the exact same quantity. Right. So its stock to flow is not as good as gold. So gold had its value and holds its value. Right. So anything that has a high stock and a low flow of new supply tends to have a certain scarcity to it that allows it to hold value. Real estate has a very interesting stock to flow. There's a there's a lot of real estate around, but for you and I to say, let's duplicate the amount of real estate that's in the GTA next year, it's impossible. like, well, the flow of new yeah. real estate, is that's impossible and to it, do. And it's a fixed amount. There's a fixed amount of, of actual inhabitable real estate on earth. That's number one. And number two, to make it even more complicated, you must construct something on top of that real estate. So even if you have the land, it, it, takes, a, it takes time to construct, right? It takes resources, time to construct. So the stock to flow for real estate should be you know, considerably favorable from an investment standpoint. 
and probably you know in addition to all these other factors it's one of the factors that's that is possibly leading to you know hyper let's call it inflation in in, in real estate in the gta right or in the golden horse vancouver area right a hundred thousand dollars a month to, like who would have thought we would see a hundred thousand dollars a month price increases for like I know that's not going to likely not going to continue, or who knows. But. I hope it does because I own some real estate. <laughs> yeah, well, everybody, I mean, it can, it can everybody who owns real estate is like, hey, it, let it, it go. It also let it boils go. down the. It also boils down to, and I've said this a, a thousand times. It boils down to the monthly payment. North Americans are they see debt as a monthly payment, psychologically speaking. Mm-hmm. What do I got to pay per month? What do I make per month? What do I got to pay per month? And that's essentially how the banks, how the underwriters look at your ability to repay debt and your ability to take on debt what is the monthly payment what do you make per month there's a ratio that they're going to allow and off to the races and through the real estate brokerage that's kind of the stuff we see all the time from tenants who are renting Mm -hmm. from people who are buying and when you have the fundamentals in place where the stock or the supply of real estate is low the, uh, the demand from new people is high. So JP, to your point of just like the fundamentals, mm-hmm. but then when you mix in interest rates, so in Canada, we were just talking about this before we started recording, I think, when, we, when, when you drop interest rates a point and a half, Nick and I were, so my brother and I, who we started Rockstar together with, mm-hmm. we were looking at some numbers and we just picked $500,000 and we were like, wow, the, the, the amount of monthly payment you needed to carry a $500,000 mortgage when they dropped interest rates a point and a half, that 500,000 for the same monthly payment, you could carry 590,000. Right. Which is almost a 20% increase. Right. So then when I see all these people that are confused that how did real estate go up 20%? Well, I'm like, you had the fundamentals. So JP, to your point, the fundamentals were there. You just threw gasoline basically on the fire fire, and you're shocked that prices went up 20% in one year. But how can you be shocked? Like, so when I see government bodies or even financial institutions say, we don't understand how the real estate market went up 20%. We're like, I always think, what what do you do all day? Because the right. population has been increasing. The supply of new real estate has not been increasing. Yeah. And you just dropped interest rates a point and a half. Yeah, so we're on the same page. It's supply and demand and interest rates are, are the tying factors here. Now, what happens if interest rates go up 5%? Are you still going to buy real five, estate? Five percent. Yeah, but let's say they go up to like seven, eight percent interest rates. Are you going to buy real estate? Well, first of all, still? I'm ca- I can't wait to see like because I just think it's impossible. Like I'm not even because yeah. I think before I would say, well, Tom, nothing's impossible. But like just mathematically, I I feel it's impossible. But if they did absolute devastation in the real estate market, and uh, I would not be. Uh, concerned myself because we've always bought properties where we think the rent or the income is enough to cover the expenses. So as long as we can lock in our rates before they did that 5% rate and we can control, it's why we are obsessed at Rockstar and with Nick and I that are looking at cash flow and obsessed at looking at interest rates. It's why we study the Bank of Canada and the Federal Reserve. Um, As long as we can control for that risk, I'm not too concerned. but what would it do? It would devastate price. Like that would absolutely devastate. So you think prices. that an, uh, uh, an increase in interest rates that significant would slow down the housing market? To me, I don't think it will because supply and demand still doesn't exist. It's also they, the affordability yeah. of the mortgage. The affordability. Right? That, that so this is to, to Fab's point. Yeah. I think it right. devastates the real estate market because 
people qualifying. You yeah. can't, the, 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 yeah, the limiting factor is now the qualification at the banks. And if your income, so like if, it, if there's a property, like we were just talking to your wife, Andrea, outside yep. before we started recording and we were talking about how there, you know, I think she sold a property for a million dollars that we all agree a few years ago, we would have never thought would have been a million dollar property. Right. So now if interest rates go up 5%, that who's going to qualify the only reason that somebody qualified for that is because interest rates are so low yeah. so if interest rates go up five percent that same person who just bought that property a million what can they qualify for they might qualify for now like what 450 400 so then what does that do to prices this is my take on this this is only going to i'm i'm going to tell you if interest rates go up five percent i'm going all in on properties because all it's but doing... Wait, but before it, they go up or six months after they it, go up? It, to me, it doesn't matter. If, if I can still qualify, I can qualify because then it's it, it's a buyer's market and rents rents are going to go up. Yeah. Oh, no. So we agree. But you're so you're talking about after they go up then because you're going to get a deal. Oh, no, no, no. Even if they don't, I mean, it's going to slow down. But will the prices drop? Will a 5% impact... Got it. Yeah, I see where you're coming supply from. Yeah, 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 yeah. To me, it's still supply the, and demand. Because you're saying the supply and demand is still exists. So, but there's a third factor. It's the it's the qualification of the The qualification. Banks. So people will slow down, but people coming into the country, the government qualifies. And that's a fair point. We just had somebody at the Rockstar offices uh, who was from India say, Tom, in Mumbai, to buy a, like a rental or investment property, I would have to put 80% or even buy it all cash at 100% down. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's very they said, common. I just came back from St. Catharines. And I can buy these beautiful properties and I can put 20% down and I can make them cash flow. I'll buy and some, <laughs> Yeah. And, and they're like, this is like too good to be true. So I see your point. I definitely see your point. I just mean 5% serious. Maybe well, if you use 2%, yeah, 5% yeah. serious. But, but yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from. It'll be interesting. Because because to, to me, I, I look at real estate three ways. I make money on real estate three ways. It's principal pay down, which, which someone else is paying down. And it's cash flow, and then there's this crystal ball for appreciation that traditionally has been about five percent, and last year was thirty-three yeah. percent. And I'm glad you said three ways because that's how we look at it too. And we look at the first two ways as our primary factors: cash flow and can we pay down the debt. Right. And the appreciation may or may not come, and if it comes, great. That's gravy. Yeah. yeah. What we've studied over the years is anytime there's been a real estate crash, what happened to rents? So the two biggest things I can share on that, because that's that's a primary factor, our mm -hmm. income, is that in 1990, our family who was stuck with that luxury home, it was 4,400 square feet, three-car garage, the rents on, the, on that type of home collapsed. But our family friends who had starter home condos and right, starter right, homes, right. the rents there, solid. Not only solid, they, they had more, like they had good demand. Okay. Okay. And I was young. I was 17. So I don't know all the intricacies of that, but I know that they were in a much better position for covering their costs than we were. Do you know if CMHC, like, because the CMHC guidelines on what the rental increase is allowed? Yeah, we have, that's the Ontario Attendant Act in Ontario. And it's like 1.6% for next. In, in, do you, I don't know if you'll know this offhand, but I mean, in the 90s when that did crash, did though did that all of a sudden go from one not one point nine percent increase that you could yeah I don't 10%? know that'd be cool to know I don't know I don't know right that. I don't yeah I don't know because buying a new buying a new build at that point and putting in a tenant a brand new tenant at a higher rate or being trapped with higher interest mm -hmm. rates with mm -hmm. a, a tenant paying based off of a, a two percent mortgage yeah 
very different scenario. Yeah, totally different scenario. Yes, and our yeah, we lived yeah. that 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 story. So, but so 1990, we saw smaller properties. The rents stayed more stable. Big properties, the rents did change. Our friend in Ohio uh, in 2007, in the financial crisis there, properties on the east side of Ohio on against Lake Erie there, they collapsed 65 percent. His rents didn't move. Not only right. did the rent stay solid, he had better tenants showing up the door to rent because right. the reason the real estate market collapsed was because the there were, they had people, look, they, they, their fundamentals weren't as good as ours, but they yeah, had people yeah. and they had houses. So they had those two things, but the banks stopped lending. There was yeah. a credit crisis. Yeah. Right. So that went away. So there, his, his rents plateaued and then started increasing. Right. So as properties were going down in value, rent stayed solid and that's why to us when working with investors we always discuss starter homes right because starter homes a roof is a need remember when covid happened and everybody was like no one's gonna pay rent do you oh, guys yeah. remember that era yeah, yeah. everyone's like no one is paying rent oh my gosh like yeah. i think it was like april 1st and may 1st everybody yeah. was like uh-oh and how much rent came in according to everything we yeah. looked at it was like 95 plus percent on residential right. real estate rent came in why because if you're a family, you gotta live, man. You gotta live. Yeah. Are you gonna risk not paying your rent? So everything we've seen over the years has been rent stays solid. And something I'll share really interesting is I was reading a shareholder letter by an investment company that does a lot of tech investing and crypto style investing. And they listed off their top 10 investments for their fund that they chose to put money in. And it was a lot of like, you know, um, Metcalf, like network growth type company, tech companies. And then it was a lot of different crypto kind of stuff. And right. then the, the last one freaked me out. Single family home rental properties. Interesting. <laughs> and I was like, oh, isn't that interesting? This is something we've known for a long time, but to see it first, somehow it gave me a certain sort of validation to see yeah. it on like a tech kind of yeah. companies like Prospectus or whatever they had, sorry, it was a shareholder letter. When they listed it, and they literally listed it off as single family homes. And I thought, that to me is fascinating That's that they awesome. listed that off. Yeah, yeah, and that kind of tells you what you need to know, right? Yeah, go, go, yeah, go yeah, on. Yeah, one of the things I want to talk to you about actually, just from an investment perspective, Right? The way I look at any asset is always the same. Future cash flows discounted to today, right? Predicting future cash flows, discounting them to, to, to today. If I can get some cash flow from it, then I'm willing to leverage to get in on that asset, right? So growth stocks, you know, where there's no dividend, there's no guarantee of in, any income, obviously gonna be a little bit more riskier, right? Real estate provides a cash flow. So I'm willing to, you know, take some leverage because that cash flow will cover the the debt payments. What's your top tips for like what's your top thing when you're talking to somebody who's a complete novice, a complete beginner at real estate investing? Okay, can I'll answer that. Can you help me? I've always heard that. What does that mean cash flows discounted to today? Right. I never I'm so basic so JFab that when yeah. I hear that, I'm always confused. So you have a risk-free rate okay whatever that is one percent you know and and who tells that's something i decide that usually you go with like three month t-bills or something like that okay right? and that's the risk-free risk -free rate, rate because if i put right. my money in those t-bills it's risk-free risk backed by the u.s taxpayer i'm gonna get and that's my your percent. alternative okay right you take the projected cash flows in the future and you discount them at the risk-free rate another way to look at it um, okay because i would have got that that's doing. the minimum i should expect to yeah. get it, the, okay. the reverse mathematics of it is your cap rate Okay. Right. Okay. Got Where it. You have a, a, 
you know, you have a cap Net operating or income, a multiple yeah. on on earnings. So, what is the the you know the projected increase, the projected cash flows um, from this particular investment? And cash flows are, include uh, capital appreciation that you eventually realize, and you discount it at the risk-free rate. So. Essentially, and the reason I'm discounting at the risk-free rate is because that's the rate I should expect to return, get back at a minimum. That's yeah, like yeah, at a minimum. Yeah. Okay, you or guys you are very see how advanced. See how advanced you guys are. Right? Very. This is a very I'm, lightning. He's for too me. advanced for me. I yeah. would just say, multiple, what does something in the future right? cost but, me today? Like, that, yeah. Like, okay. Okay. That, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, the yeah, 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 Let's say you're looking at a bill at buying a business, right? Generally speaking, what you do is you normalize income. Say, okay, what is the the normalized income for this business? Hundred thousand dollars. And you apply a multiple for that industry, three, four, five times, right? A PE ratio, right? At the end of the day, you're looking at predictable, predicted cash flows discounted to today, right? That's the way I look at real estate as well, right? And, and that's why I like your approach of, hey, let's make sure we're getting some good cash flow here, yeah. right? Starter homes, so on and so forth. What are the, the, the big things that you talk to um, that you talk about when you're talking to a novice. Okay. Wants to and that, I'm, I'm glad you're saying novice because there, yeah. it is different. Because when you're starting out, you do, to us, you absolutely need to focus on an asset that at least pays for itself. Okay. Because if crap hits the fan, and yep. to our discussion earlier, if interest rates shoot up and you're counting on appreciation as the way to make money, you're not gonna be protected. And if you buy something that is negative cash flow, if the economy goes into a three or four year deep dive recession, mm -hmm. you don't want to be stuck with prop with two, three, four properties that you all have to feed $500 a month to. Right. Because that's going to bankrupt not only the properties, it's going to bankrupt you personally. Okay. So you need cash flow. And someone listening to this might think, well, Tom, cash flow is impossible in today's world. No, it's not. There's Font Hill is an area in Niagara. I was just talking to somebody on our team, just bought a townhouse out there. Um, and he's going to... Uh, he bought that for just over $500,000. He's going to rent it out for $2,200 a month. So that rent alone just blows my mind. Well, I mean, he's going to rent it out for $2,200 and he's going to he's going to cash flow it. So if you're sitting here in the greater Toronto or in Canada, mm -hmm. but in the greater Toronto area thinking you can't get cash flow, that's false. Yeah. You can get cash flow. You just need to know where to look. Completely. So, yeah. So that's typically. That, that, that's going to cash flow like 400 bucks a month. Exactly. Yeah. And he's like, I'm so happy. And that's that's a straight rental, nothing yeah. fancy. He's mm -hmm. going to cash flow that. And uh, that's a single family. Then, cash flow is, is a significant component to what you discuss with your. Absolutely. With your novice clients. Correct. And then the second factor that we always want to look at with somebody starting out is that you want to buy in a metropolitan area that has a certain population base base should you be hit with a vacancy and i know this sounds ridiculous right now with our population growth mm -hmm. growth and demand for properties but should you get hit with a vacancy you can quickly find a new tenant so it's why we don't go to some smaller towns even though they're great like if you live in a small town and you know that place like the back of your hand absolutely get yeah. a rental property there and get a cash flowing rental property but if you're brand new and you're busy with your life and you have it's two parents with careers and kids to us you want to buy in a city that has a like it's it's why we look at Hamilton a lot. It's it's there's five hundred thousand people there. Mm -hmm. If you get it's hit growing. and it's growing, so if you get hit with a vacancy, you're gonna get you know get filled. Brantford, Ontario, St. Catharines, Ontario, Barrie, 
as opposed to some of the, the you know, London even, but not maybe St. Thomas. Like, don't start in right. St. Thomas, even though St. Thomas has some absolutely amazing investments. Yeah. If you're just starting, go to a slightly bigger place just because of the vacancy risk. Now, you're, you're also mentioning lower price point homes by the areas that you're talking about. Yeah, right so now. thank you. And and I guess that would be like our, our, our third criteria. GP, it's almost like we set, set that up. It's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's a starter home. So it's 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 don't get don't start by going into like the luxury. You know, a lot of people will look at like those TV shows in LA, like flipping these big mansions yeah, and stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. no, no, no. Start in the starter homes because in good times or bad times, I think 1990 taught us that, and COVID has produced that again for us as proof that starter homes always have demand. Right. So right. start in the starter home category and build from there. And then if you don't stick with cash flow as your portfolio increases. That's fine because maybe you have enough cash flow from two or three properties right. that if you want to buy a property in Toronto or in Oakville on, on and it's negative cash flowing, but you know you're going to build there in ten build on that right. lot in ten years from now or, or something, then that's fine because the rest of your portfolio is going to carry that property and you can venture and do more creative and wild things. But when you're starting, starter homes, cash flow in decent population centers. Okay, and and, and you good or no? Yeah, go ahead. And for for you, okay. So you mentioned Ohio. I yeah. mean, would you buy outside of the the Golden Horseshoe? No, because and I think people are shocked that we wouldn't. We have so much fundamental. We have so many fundamentals here. Yeah. Like Canada is a great country that attracts people. For, like just mm -hmm. yesterday, I was speaking over the last week. I've sp spoken to two amazing families um, from Egypt. Like amazing families. They're all well-educated. They right. come here. They want to work. Yeah. They want to contribute. They're like, bringing a little bit of money. They're too. bringing some some yeah. money with them. So, like, I mean, we just live in this weird w area of the world where you have people coming from all different parts of the world and they want to live yeah. here. And it's people who are trying to make something of themselves and their family. So, when you have the fundamentals that we have here, I don't want to invest anywhere else because I think this is has been like. This is still an attractive place, even in the era of COVID. For the you know, over the next few years, if there's always going to be a little scare of something going on, Canada has a great healthcare system. It has a great education system. It has a certain level of freedom that is, although we might argue what you know what we pay right. in taxes and uh, yeah. in general, we have certain levels of freedom here that are unmatched. So no, uh, to so me, you're happy, you're happy investing here. Yeah, I, I strongly believe if you can't make money in your own backyard. What makes you think you're going to go somewhere else with with people you don't know? Mm -hmm. On top of that, locally you can have you can build professional networks. <laughs> I can know Fabio and JP. I can know lawyers and mortgage brokers here. I can build a, a power team. Right. But having said that, in, or would Nick and I buy something in Florida or one of the islands soon? Yeah. Have we bought in Croatia? We bought in Croatia. Yeah. Yes. Once you hit twenty million and thirty million in properties, you're well, gonna, yeah, no, no, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, right. one of my next yeah. moves is is going to be. Uh, this is live, so Andrew's going to get mad, but <laughs> I, I want to buy something in Rome, um, like in a piazza. That's that's my final kind of totally. You know, yeah. but but. Yeah, I can build. totally see you seeing, sitting at a cafe. Oh, it's complaining about something, <laughs> sitting there, just kind of doing yeah. that, just complaining about it. I didn't mean that out of love. I say yeah, that yeah. out of like just a, in a positive yeah. way. Having that's a like, cappuccino in the yeah, piazza yeah, just like in the morning there. is like the yeah, best yeah, thing yeah, ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Tell, uh, I'll come over here. I'll tell you about the problems yeah. going on in this place. Yeah. But you, you know the Golden Horseshoe. I mean, to me, whenever someone tells me they're buying in the U.S., I'm like, uh, I mean, I know what's here. Even Vancouver, I don't know it. I know here. 
And what I'm seeing is uh, there's no reason I can tell people not to buy. No, I feel like we can build an information advantage here that I can't get somewhere else. I, I see the people with my own eyes coming into this country. Right. I can see the developments happening. I can see what the interest rates are. I know the laws. So I can gain an information advantage. Unlike some other areas uh, you know, geographically, I don't have that information advantage. I can build that right here. So I want to leverage that information advantage. And, and you guys bought a, uh, a place in Muskoka? Uh, oh yeah, we bought a place up by Blue Mountain. How'd that um, appreciate last year? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Nick owes me for that one. I'm going to yeah. tell Nick, Nick, because and I joke because I think we both thought it was expensive when we bought it, but it's already gone up a few hundred thousand dollars, and uh, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy. Is, crazy. is it like uh, at a resort on the yeah, lake? It's like, right. It's it's just walking distance from the Blue Mountain Village. So if oh, you're familiar amazing. with Blue Mountain, yeah, we want it to be able to have like something twelve months a year that we yeah. can kind of go up to and like. I selfishly just want to eat and drink some wine at the restaurants and walk home. Like that's, that's, a, no, that's, that's amazing. the whole yeah. reason that, yeah. that we bought it where we are. So it's not really a cottage. It's more like a vacation home. We yeah, did, totally. We, yeah. Andrew and I did the cottage in, in July and, you know, uh, it, it, yeah. it's gone up, I think, 70% oh in value since July. Like that's, but they're never going to make these lakes again. No. And you bought in a really nice place. Yeah, so agreed. Yeah. It's just crazy. It's supply and demand. And people are like, oh, the, the cottage country, they're so overinflated. I'm like, it's going to get worse because they're doubling the population of the Golden Horseshoe. And these lakes don't exist anymore. And with everyone being locked at home, I think we've all recognized that there's a certain lifestyle component that you want to your life. Completely. Right? So, yeah, congrats on that. That's, Thank yeah, that's you. amazing. Yeah. Right. I think we gotta wrap it up. Carson's right. gonna kill us. Are we at are we at a time? Sorry, Nelson. <laughs> yeah. Across the hour mark now, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah no. Yeah, this was okay. fun guys. Hopefully um, we shared something interesting. Yeah, no. yeah. Good stuff. Thanks for coming. Do you by. wanna wrap it Appreciate up? You that, that's us. how you wrapped it up? That was it? <laughs> yeah, you should do a quick close just like um Sure. Um <laughs> I'll just record it in a second. <laughs> we're live right now, though, right? Yeah. Put yeah, Fab, we'll put fab on the spot. No, Fab, we're not stopping until you so, yeah, stop. All right, yeah. all right, fine. <laughs> One thing I wanted to say was, um, you know, when Fab and I started out our business, we've been doing this for, what, 10, 11 years now? Almost 11 now, yeah. And we came, we came in just kind of like two or three years after you guys. Um, I, we, I don't think we've ever said thank you to you guys because... Yeah. You know, when we started this, it's pivotal. You guys helped us a lot. Yeah, we we didn't we didn't do anything. We didn't put a business plan together. Like you guys learned metrics. We just put an email out, and you know, you guys were one of our biggest supporters up front, and that's how we ended up in in real estate. And you know, you go on Google, and we pop up nonstop for real estate. I yep. think we compete with you guys for real estate That's on crazy. Google oh, shit. searches. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. We'll have to fix that. We'll yeah. fix, going back to yeah. the office right now. We're going to fix that. But yeah, no, like thank you to you guys for um, for trusting us at that initial stage. And, you know, that gave us guidance into what we do now. So yeah. thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for saying that. Totally. Um, Two ways people reach you. Just rockstarinnercircle.com is one of our main websites. That's the easiest way, rockstarinnercircle.com. Who should reach out to you? I guess anyone who's thinking they want to get into the real estate market in, uh, for an investment and don't know where to begin. Okay. That's kind of our, 
our bread and butter. Like we will take yep. you from not understanding where to go to introducing you to some residential real estate investments, allowing you to crunch the numbers, take you on a tour of properties. Of course, like you give yeah, and, and share. Yeah, and we'll have different people um, share some good information with right. you. So yeah, and your podcast. Oh, it's called the Your Life, Your Terms show. So our whole uh, message about investing in real estate is to live life on your terms. Right. So the podcast is called the Your Life, Your Terms and, show. And it actually has like, it's actually quite popular. No, it's, yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's good. We have fun yeah. with it. Yeah, we still are trying to figure out what we're doing with that podcast. But I think we are too. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. Perfect. Okay, well, now you know where to reach him. Yeah, thanks Call for, uh, yeah. Thanks thanks for coming guys. out, I appreciate Tom. this. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank awesome. you. So there you have it. Tom Karadza of the Your Life, Your Terms show and Rockstar Real Estate. We definitely need to have this guy back on the show to share his vast knowledge of real estate investing as we only scrape the tip of the iceberg with this interview. I hope you were able to get something out of that as I know I did. As always, if you're interested in knowing more, feel free to leave comments and suggestions on whatever platform you're watching or listening on. And feel free to contact us at info at cmllp.com for any tax, financial planning, or real estate investment questions. That's a wrap. We'll see you next time.